Chapter twenty seven of St. Charles Borromeo, a sketch of the reforming cardinal by Louise M. Stackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter twenty seven The Minister of Charles Borromeo. On Saturday, Charles rode triumphantly into Milan, greeted by ringing cheers, by heartfelt prayers, and of cries of love and loyalty. On his arrival at the archiepiscopal palace, the governor paid him a ceremonious visit. They talked together for a while, apparently on good terms. Everyone hoped the hatchet was buried. But the following day, the first Sunday in Lent, the Marquise de Aymonte once more threw down the glove and defied not only the cardinal but the sovereign pontiff. Gregory had given his solemn approbation to all the decrees issued by Charles. Therefore he had practically forbidden jousts, games, and other diversions to be held on Sundays and holidays during the hours of divine services. The governor, in defiance alike of Pope and Cardinal, held a tournament on that memorable Sunday in the piazza in front of the Duomo. He and his son were there, and some other members of his family. His wife, Donna Anna, absolutely refused to be present, in fact, attended Vespers, while the jousts were in progress. A few of the nobles and citizens also sanctioned the diabolical jousts, to use the words of an old chronicler, but the people in mass refused to take part in them, either as actors or spectators. The Marquise de Almonte had to get from the garrison at Pavia a company of light horses to ride in the lists. Charles was deeply grieved by this fresh proof of the governor's irreconcilable spirit. He had hoped for peace, and to be at last able to sheathe the sword but the Aymonte had evidently thrown away the scabbard, and was resolved to carry on the struggle. The cardinal very reluctantly put nearly all who had taken part or been present at the diabolical jousts under the ban of Holy Church. Charles wrote to Monsignor Speciano to acquaint him with the affair, telling them that he had not included the Aymonte and his son in the sentence of excommunication, considering them, as it were, outside the pale. I consider, he goes on, my authority sufficiently vindicated. No one in future will take part in these jousts and profane diversions. Even the soldiers refuse, yielding obedience to my edicts instead of to those of the governor. On the whole, this affair has but strengthened the ecclesiastical power, and I hope His Holiness will give to my acts the weight of his wise approbation. Gregory gave his sanction and sent the governor's envoys out of Rome, having absolutely refused to give them any redress. He listened patiently and courteously to their accusation and complaints, and then told them they had no case, and that it was his intention to uphold in all things the authority of Charles Borromeo. They returned to Milan, discontented, discomfited, and powerless. During Lent, Charles visited Brescia. He returned to Milan in Holy Week, and visited the governor, hoping that this time of penance and of mourning would soften his heart and cause him to repent. The Aymonte listened quietly to the cardinal's exhortations, even thanked him, and then remarked with a covert sneer, raising his eyes to heaven, It is unbearable that we in Milan should not enjoy the liberty possessed by every other city in Italy, and that we cannot be permitted to act as they do. Charles sighed and took his leave, inwardly praying that God would touch the heart of this proud and obdurate man. His prayers were heard, but not as he intended, for the governor fell dangerously ill, and in his last agony he repented, imploring his attendants to send for his quondam foe. The cardinal had returned to Brescia after Easter, but no sooner did he hear of d'Armonti's serious illness than, as he himself says, he flew to Milan, hoping to be in time to assist at the last moments of the governor. 
he found him at the point of death speechless but conscious charles remained with him for four hours gave him absolution consoled him exhorting him to have confidence in the mercy of god painting for him in glowing colors the joys of paradise at the last awful moment charles read aloud to him the gospel of the passion of our lord and at the words et inclinato capite tradit spiritum the soul of diamante passed peacefully away the cardinal superintended the arrangements for the funeral presided at it pontifically comforted the widow and orphans and once more proved as formerly in the case of don luis de requesens that his was a charity that suffereth long and is kind beareth all things believeth all things hopeth all things endureth all things a friend and admirer of our saint don sancho de guevara pediglia was appointed governor pro tem everyone was pleased the good citizens thought the millennium had come and that in future the lamb and the wolf would lie down together but the wolf was no sooner in possession of supreme power than he showed his teeth in other words don sancho acted in the same arrogant and despotic manner as his predecessors and had scarcely tasted the sweets of power than he used that power to molest his former friend he would not permit the ecclesiastical tribunals to proceed against laymen for offences against the canon law he forbade the archbishop and his clergy to visit the public hospital and he started the usual round of joust games and diversions during the hours of divine service he insisted that the members of the confraternity of the misericordia should walk in the different processions with uncovered faces threatening to imprison them if they disobeyed things had come to such a pass that charles saw there was but one course open for him a direct appeal to philip the second king of spain and sovereign of the duchy of milan the cardinal had for some time intended doing so and had looked round for a suitable envoy his choice fell on a barnabite priest father charles Bascapi, a learned and prudent man who afterwards became bishop of navarra this good priest arrived at badajoz in castile on the borders of portugal on august fourth fifteen eighty the king was engaged there in carrying on a war against the portuguese and as he was much occupied father Bascapi had some difficulty in obtaining an audience when philip understood that he came on a mission from cardinal borromeo he received him very graciously and accepted with singular piety and gratitude the little reliquary containing relics of the holy innocence sent him by charles he listened attentively to father Bascapi, telling him he would consult his confessor a saintly and wise dominican father diego clavesio father diego recommended him to appoint a governor who would be willing to submit to the cardinal's decrees philip consented he wrote the following kind and appreciative letter to charles don philip by the grace of god king of spain of sicily of jerusalem etc most reverend father in jesus christ cardinal archbishop of milan and our dearest beloved friend i have read your letter of may fifteenth and i have listened to the religious sent by you to me and i have studied the memorial which he gave me from you and which clearly shows your zeal for religion and your sincere piety the perusal of it afforded us great satisfaction please god we shall soon be able to put an end to all unpleasantness and bring matters to a satisfactory conclusion i have given instructions to my ministers to put an end to the blasphemies plays and other public disorders that offend almighty god i leave you free to act as you please in the other matters you mention only imploring you to be prudent and moderate in order to obtain good results one must use the means that are most likely to influence people 
I thank you for the blessed relics you so kindly sent me, not only because of their intrinsic value, being as they are worthy of reverence and veneration, but also because I appreciate your thoughtful kindness in sending them to me. May our Lord Jesus Christ ever guard and protect you, our dearest friend. Badajoz, October 24th, 1580. When the Cardinal received this cordial letter, he remarked to his future biographer, Guisiano, I have a piece of good news for you, for which we must thank God, for we shall have peace at last. The king intends sending a governor who will agree with me in everything. As a matter of fact, Father Bascapi had succeeded all along the line. The king sent Alcanisio to Rome to make a thorough investigation of the disputed points, with the result that he told Monsignor Speciano to write to Cardinal Borromeo to tell him that, if he wished, he could have the entire administration of temporal as well as ecclesiastical power, for the king and his ministers held the highest opinion of him. From that day peace, love, and harmony reigned in Milan. No one opposed the cardinal. He was the real ruler, everyone said. We must obey the archbishop. The king wishes it. We are forbidden to contest his authority. The time of struggle was past. He must be obeyed. So great was the change that Monsignor Speciano wrote to the Cardinal on May 16, 1581. Alconisio tells me that all depends on you, not only in Milan, but in Naples and in Sicily. He says that the King's ministers esteem and reverence you even more than the King does, and they are convinced that His Majesty has more confidence in you than in anyone. Indeed, he has such an exalted opinion of you that they say he intends to consult you about all ecclesiastical appointments. When, in 1583, Philip appointed Don de Aragona, Duke of Tiraneva, governor of Milan, he said to him, Go quickly to Milan, but remember you are to consider yourself much more the minister of Charles Borromeo than governor of Milan. He is the defender of our realm. In rekindling in the hearts of our people the love of religion, he has made it unnecessary for us to employ soldiers to preserve tranquillity. For he, in making them religious and devout, has caused them to become loyal subjects. End of chapter 27